0: Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks and coming up today, how secure is your remote and hybrid workforce? That important question will be the subject of this year's Information Assurance Forum from Centricom and the University of Findlay. It's happening next week and we'll get details. Also this morning for Cybersecurity Awareness Month, as the criminals get more sophisticated, it becomes more difficult and yet more critical to stay one step ahead. Also this morning, the Red Cross is known for being there when disasters happen to help victims pick up the pieces. It's a job that can't be done without the help of dedicated volunteers. And in our ongoing Keeping the Faith a series, why Christians should never be afraid to pray big things. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, October 20th, 2021. So get ready to pay more for everything from detergent to diapers. If you heard about this, the folks at uh, Cincinnati-based Procter & Gamble are raising prices on their entire catalog of products, if you will. Uh, They point to inflation and increased shipping delays. Here we go. P&G tells the Wall Street Journal that it needs to raise prices on... Staples including diapers, mouthwash, toothpaste, toilet paper, really everything P&G makes. Uh, As uh, U.S. inflation reaches its highest level in a decade, uh, adding to this pandemic-related shortages in raw materials and labor, we do not anticipate any easing of costs. Uh, That, according to the finance chief, of Procter & Gamble, Andre Shulton. That's a very blunt statement to the Wall Street Journal, and it will affect all consumers who are already facing higher food prices during their trips to the grocery store. One bit of good news from the company, however, it has been making moves to make sure that items like toilet paper and cleaning products are not sold out, so we are not going to see uh, a repeat of those pandemic-induced shortages of a year ago, but... It'll cost you it'll co- you know that it was coming. Uh, prices of everything have been going up. Uh, gas prices are way up. the average price per gallon has now increased. Are you ready for this? 54 percent year over year to a national average of 334 a gallon. 54 percent higher for gasoline than it was this time last year. Of course, last year. As we were going through the pandemic, we were driving less, demand plummeted, and gas prices followed as the economy has rebounded. Retail experts tell the New York Post the big jump of the pump is going to severely curtail consumer spending in the upcoming holiday season. That's the concern. Is it worth paying more to get to the store, then we're going to have less. We're just paying more for gas in general. We're going to have less to spend on gifts and other goodies. Of course, it might not matter because experts working in consumer industries say new efforts to ease supply chain snarls may have come too late. The Toy Association, trade organization for the toy industry, says newly announced initiatives like, uh, well, last week, President Biden announced that the Port of Los Angeles is going to 24 7 operations. Dock workers will be taking on more shifts. In an effort to help the struggling supply chain. So, those and other mitigation efforts may have come too late. The Toy Association says this will help marginally, but is not in any way a full solution. Experts say toy companies will now have to pay a premium to get their goods into a shipping container, and big toy companies that ship year round will have an advantage over the smaller companies that do not ship goods all year and rely primarily on the holiday season for their annual profitability. They say, due to this, the selection will have gaps. Interesting the way they put that. Selection will have gaps for holiday shopping. And that efforts to unclog the supply chain ahead of the holiday season would have been better off starting three or four months ago. But uh, you know how, how we put things off. And that is likely going to cost us in terms of uh, selection uh, on store shelves uh, for the uh, for the upcoming holiday season. We mentioned what was it yesterday? I think in our daily download, the fact that anywhere between 50 and 70 percent of shoppers say that they have already started their Christmas shopping, depending on age, younger, younger Couples with with kids are more likely to have started already and already they say they are running into issues, laying their hands on the gifts that they want. So if you have not started long and short of it is if you have not started, probably best to get started right now (laughs) before the price of the pump goes up again. Yes, there's all of that. How crazy is this? I saw this on the uh, Newswire this morning. Good morning, by the way. Good to have you with us on this uh, midweek Wednesday. Hard to believe it's uh, Wednesday already. How crazy is this? The uh, popularity of uh, superhero movies is giving rise to a rash of unique baby names. This was a report in the Huffington Post. A number of babies are sporting names like Quill from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Who would do this to their child? Who would saddle their child with it? I understand in pop culture, it is not uncommon for baby names to reflect the uh popular movies, popular t v shows, things like that. That is not unusual and it's been happening for decades, and I think back. To the 1970s, a lot of children born in the early 1970s, girls in particular, and I don't know why this sticks out in my mind, but a lot of Jennifer was a very popular name. When I was in high school, Jennifer is a popular name. A lot of kids born in the early 70s, girls, (laughs) obviously, uh, named Jennifer, and it came from the movie Love Story, which was a huge hit at the box office, and the... Uh, female lead character in that sappy uh, romantic film was named Jennifer. It became a huge, uh, hugely popular name. And uh, so this has been going on. It's not, but that's a normal name. Why would you saddle your kid's name? uh, Why would you saddle your kid with a name like Quill? Uh, Loki is popular too. And some girls are being named Valkyrie. Uh, again, these are all from superhero movies. Of course, they are far outnumbered by babies with traditional names, but still a growing number of children being named after superhero movies. I just, Why would you do that to your kids? I don't have uh, the specific numbers, but it will be interesting here in a couple of months when we get into a new year in the Social Security Administration, uh, issues their list of the most popular baby names of the year, what 2021's top names will be. Just prepare yourself, because there'll probably be some be some superhero names of all things. As long as you don't name your kid Spider-Man, I guess you're fine. And a sign of the times, here, if you are looking for something to do this weekend, we're halfway to the weekend, maybe you're looking forward to you know, making some plans, sitting around, say, what do you want to do this weekend? Well, maybe take a drive up to the Motor City and check out the Selfie Museum. <laughs> this Saturday, the Selfie Museum of Detroit is holding its grand opening. City residents Kelly Cook and her 14-year-old daughter Jordan Watson say they hope the museum will be a fun experience with good vibes for visitors. The museum currently features 20 interactive art installations. Um, so it's a small museum. But then again, you know, Findlay's Manza Museum started with just a handful of, of pieces. And it's become one of the uh, premier museums of its kind in the country. So why not the Selfie Museum of, Det- of Detroit. Reservations, though, are required. So you can't just go. It's not just open to everyone. This is a very exclusive uh, museum, apparently. You have to make reservations. But it is uh, opening on Saturday, the Selfie Museum of Detroit. So if you are looking for something to do this weekend, there you go. So some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories uh, this morning to get your Wednesday morning started.
1: WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast. Plenty of sunshine again today with a high of 73. Increasing clouds tonight, a low of 59. This is National School Bus Safety Week, and Finley Crime Prevention Officer Brian White says we all need to do our part to make sure school kids are safe.
2: Kids are notorious for not really paying attention sometimes, so we really need to uh, look out for them and make sure that they're safe because I do hear a lot of these stories of uh, kids being struck by vehicles while near or around a school bus.
1: He says drivers are required to stop at least 10 feet in front of or behind a school bus when flashing lights and a stop arm are displayed and cannot resume driving until a school bus begins moving. A driver who fails to stop for a school bus that's loading or unloading students can be fined up to $500 and have their license suspended for a year. A woman who was killed by a falling branch in Mohican State Park has been identified. Authorities say 57-year-old Shelley Miller of Columbus was hiking in the Ashland County Park on Sunday when the branch fell on her. ODNR officials are investigating the incident. The American Red Cross of North Central Ohio needs local volunteers who are trained to respond to disasters in their community. To help recruit new disaster action team volunteers, the Red Cross will be holding a public presentation Next Wednesday, at the Hancock County office, which is located at 125 Fair Street in Findlay, the Red Cross responds to more than 60,000 disasters each year. The majority of those disasters are local home fires. Also, the Red Cross continues to experience an emergency blood shortage. One of the next blood drives coming up locally will be at the Findlay Knights of Columbus on West Main Cross Street on Friday. Paul McCartney and Taylor Swift will induct new members into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland next week. McCartney will speak in honor of Foo Fighters. The former Beatle is close with Foo Fighters frontman Dave Grohl. Swift will speak and perform in honor of Carole King. Bassett portrayed Turner in the movie What's Love Got to Do With It? Another actor, Drew Barrymore, is lined up to give the induction speech for the Go-Go's. The ceremony is Saturday of next week at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, home of the Cavaliers. Dave James, Owen News. Give more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demcheck with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM.
3: Information that makes a difference. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM.
0: And now our cover story this morning. How secure is your remote and hybrid workforce? If you're a business owner or manager, this is a topic that in today's work environment you really have to ask yourself and that uh, important question is the subject of this year's information assurance forum from centricom and the university of Findlay, happening next week Uh, lauren wagner is director of risk at centricom and uh, with us uh, in the studio this morning such a a timely uh, topic because obviously over the course of the past year to 17 18 months people have you know pivoted to that remote work model and at so many businesses so many uh, workplaces um it's going to be an ongoing thing at least uh you know some sort of hybrid uh remote work schedule so you know it's only logical to ask the question how secure uh, are those workplaces
4: yeah that's that absolutely correct chris the uh and and part of it is is that this got pushed on organizations so quick. Yeah, before because they the, were really ready for yeah, it. Yeah, before they were ready for it because of the pandemic. And you know, we've had remote remote workers for for years at, at various levels within organizations and mm-hmm. those largely were planned events. Yeah. Uh where this wasn't. And yeah. uh so you had an awful lot of people working from and, insecure environment.
0: Yeah, and I I guess that is uh, one of those risk points that comes up anytime when you have something that's unexpected or you do something out of the norm, um especially when you do it, you know, overnight almost, uh you're likely to create some risk. Here's the question, what is the difference? And I don't in the information assurance forum in the past, we've talked about uh, people who bring their own devices uh, Mm -hmm. to work uh, maybe uh, with their mobile devices or their laptop computers on a company network um, and the risks involved in that. How difficult or how different is this risk from that?
4: Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a different dynamic. So
0: um because sure. I can hear some business owners saying, "Well, we've we've mitigated the risk, or we've addressed that risk of people using their own devices on a company network." But this is a bit of a different animal.
4: A bit of a different animal, and and, and this kind of expands that because now they're using, uh, in a lot a lot of cases, their personal devices, their home computer devices, in order mm-hmm. to access corporate network. Yeah, which are inherently insecure. I mean, I, I'm I'm not saying that to be mean to anybody but that's just that's typical they there's don't have be, the security
0: yeah there's going to be a, a lower level of security in a home mm-hmm. network than a than a corporate network or a business network. yeah
4: and besides their device their network itself mm-hmm. so that this their home network now you're introducing all of that into potentially into your corporation including the other devices on that network within your home so to be clear, if
0: I have uh, – we talk about the Internet of Things, and people, long-time listeners of this program know we've talked about this before, the Internet of Things, where my washing machine and my refrigerator, mm-hmm. my thermostat, my doorbell are all connected to my home network. Those are potential points of entry for a hacker that can uh, at, theoretically uh, work its way back to a corporate network? Sure, theoretically. Yeah.
4: They would be on the network, and, and they're – those are inherently insecure devices, right? And in, in, in uh, well-known insecure devices. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really not that big of a deal for a, for a hacker to get into your network if it's part yeah. of that IoT world as well. Yeah. So
0: uh, if a company uh, only allows, and I know for us uh, here at our company, if I am going to get onto the corporate network uh from a home device i'm doing so through a vpn for a virtual virtual private network Correct. is that enough to mitigate the risk
4: well it, it's it's part of the solution but then the reality is uh if you're particularly if you're using your home device mm-hmm. you have that other network behind you that is now also included in that connectivity perhaps uh, so that's that's where the a lot of the risk comes into play Uh, Plus, home devices are are subject to uh, security vulnerabilities that a corporate device might not be. Now, as time goes on, a lot of companies have provided home devices for them to work with. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the uh, request or demand is that that be separated from their home network. But that's not always the
0: case. Yeah, the good news is that uh, many home networks, the routers, and, and again, I know at my home, Uh, you're able to set up a network that is isolated for a specific device uh, and only has that device right. and is isolated from everything else that's on uh, the the main home network, so right. uh, that is becoming increasingly uh possible for right absolutely no so you've get this is all you're going to be talking about all of this all of these issues possible solutions uh for your remote and hybrid workforce at the information assurance for, uh, forum, which is the twentieth uh year you, the twentieth anniversary 20th year, of year yeah how different different is uh, is this today than 20 years ago? I mean, 20 years ago when this started, you would have never, I would imagine, imagined that this <laughs> would be something you would be talking
4: about. Oh, gosh. Uh, the, the first information assurance forum we had was held at the uh, the Ritz Auditorium at Old Main <laughs> okay. on the on University of Finley campus. We had approximately 40 people there, mostly students. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was probably as much a career day yeah, as, as it was uh you no, know, it was information security for the students. Mm-hmm. We had an FBI spokesman there, and a police officer from Toledo, and uh, and then uh, I, th- I think we had a person there from a staffing organization to mm-hmm. help talk to the students yeah 40 to now we usually have 150 to 200 people there yeah
0: and and today uh, the career aspect of it is i mean it's even more of an in-demand career field uh because you still will speak to university of finley students and and uh, uh speak to them about the career opportunities oh, absolutely. and
4: yeah. we have other universities that join us too. yeah uh some of them have uh a forum day where they'll have 20 students at their campus and they'll come in via zoom mm-hmm. and and be participate that yeah
0: one. so and, and certainly an in demand and only going to be more so <laughs> as i mean some of what we're talking about today is kind of the tip of the iceberg who knows what it will be 20 years from now uh you will have a number of uh speakers uh that will be speaking to this issue
4: yeah we have a number of speakers we'll have student speakers in the morning as we usually do uh, we'll have an FBI speaker there as well, and then then we're going to have a panel, and the panel's made up of partners that are involved in in this presentation this year. So we have Centricom, uh, 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 GJM, Highland, uh, and uh, and Eastman. Um, I'm sorry, the law firm, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eastman and Smith. Thank you, yeah, Eastman Smith, and they've all helped put this program together. Mm-hmm. And they'll all be there on this panel, speaking from their particular backgrounds and expertise.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and and with respect to some of the uh, the, the staffing folks and, and and so on, I I would imagine you would be speaking about how do you broach this subject with uh, with employees? Uh, yes. Given that you know, I mean, if uh, again. One of the things, the the storylines through this pandemic has been uh, recruiting new people and how now with this remote and hybrid uh, work environment, you can recruit from pretty much anywhere in the world yeah. because people can work from anywhere. But this has to be part of that process i i would imagine is screening and interviewing and and so on keeping all of this in mind
4: yeah for sure and and yeah like you said you have an expanded potential workforce right which has been a good thing mm-hmm. and we've benefited from that as well sure but then it does introduce additional security implications
0: yeah so uh, thinking holistically about this thinking big picture now the information assurance forum is one week from today right
4: correct that's yeah. correct and today you, you really want to register by the end of the day today if you want to have lunch at the forum so they'll be taking a head count here today or tomorrow in order to solidify that
0: and then the uh, event itself is an an all-day uh, event uh, 10
4: o'clock starts at 10 o'clock in the morning runs through Three o'clock. I okay. Really so
0: you definitely want lunch. Uh, so uh, get registered. How do folks do that?
4: Uh, IAforum.net is, is one way that they can get on and register. And also they can register through the uh, Finlay Hancock County Chamber of Commerce.
3: And
0: by the way, this is uh, aimed at businesses of all categories, all sizes, all because eight. this is something that. You know, large and small companies alike are uh, grappling with.
4: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and we try to cater to all those markets.
0: And we have a link up on our webpage at goodmornings.net if you want more information about the 20th Annual Information Assurance Forum talking about security for your remote and hybrid workforce. It is uh, happening at Weinbrenner, right, next, uh, next yes, Wednesday? Yes, uh correct. Weinbrenner. Uh, the IA Forum from uh, Centricom and the University of Finley. Lauren Wagner, again, Director of Risk at Centricom. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate
4: it. Thank you, Chris. It. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: Well, it seems these days not a week goes by that there's not a sto- another story of a data breach, a hack, a ransomware attack, or a cybersecurity issue. And with October being National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, David Dufour joins us this morning. He leads the data security and data protection teams at the information management software company OpenText. And David, keeping software up to date, creating strong passwords and using multi-factor authentication, kind of the trifecta of cybersecurity, so we've been told time and time again. You say all of those things are important, but are they enough?
3: Well, so they all are very important. I, I do not want to diminish the importance of any of those. But the one thing, you know, we hear about ransomware attacks, we hear about you know, cyber criminals taking down infrastructure. The one thing your listeners can do above all else is back up their data. Because if something happens to them online, if something happens to their computer, they can restore it, and they're back to where they need to be.
0: You know, it's kind of ironic that we are still talking about backing up data because this was something that, you know, 20 years ago we were uh, talking about. The concern then was uh, failure of a hard drive or some sort of system crash. And now it's just as important, but for a different reason.
3: You know, it's exactly right. And it's also sometimes hard to even talk about, you know, uh, here at the office, we'll talk about new threats, new ways to protect people from the latest type of attack and understand that. But we've yet to see anything that that, a backup won't override. And and so it's one of those, if you just eat your peas, uh, maybe you don't want to, but they're good for you. uh, Backup (laughs) is, is just the most basic thing you can do. And and most of the time it's going to, it's going to pull you out of a bad spot.
0: The difference now versus then of course, is that uh, 20 years ago we were talking about backing up to a portable hard drive or something of that nature. Now, Cloud uh, storage is sort of the the go-to method that's kind of considered uh, the standard. How is cloud storage different from backing up on physical media uh, that we have in hand? and is cloud storage enough? Should we be doing both?
3: That's a good question. And, and if you have some data like medical records, if you're a if, if someone's running a medical practice or, or critical you know data like that, you do need to consider having some type of physical backup that you can pull off a computer that you know a hacker is not going to get to. Um, That said, cloud storage is the best way uh, in this day and age uh, simply because of um, the efficiency of it, the simplicity. But the thing is, a lot of people aren't aware that there's a difference between uh, you know, cloud storage in a synchronization mode where maybe I change a file on my home computer and it automatically updates on my phone or my, my work computer, that's synchronization. And that is that is cloud storage, but that's not backup because that file on your computer could get infected and then synchronized to another computer. And, and now you've got real problems. Backup in and of itself is actually taking a file encrypting it, timestamping it, and putting it away so you can get it back at a later time if you need it.
0: So what is the difference? I mean, you talk about synchronization. That's something that most of us kind of turn on by default and it just kind of happens in the background. We don't have to worry about it. So in terms of data backup on the cloud, uh, can we do something similar or is this something that we have to manually do from time to time?
3: Well, so if you if you get the right software, if you get a backup solution, it will manage, does it back up to your local, you know, a, a portable hard drive? Does it backup to a cloud location? And then once you've got it, you know, initially installed and running, it, it's kind of fire and forget. Once it's up and running, uh, it will handle it for you you should periodically check it to ensure that, that your backups are good or yeah. the software will alert you through email saying it was a valid backup. But but you can forget it once you set it up.
0: Because the, a couple of other questions uh, with regard to backup in general and cloud backup uh, specifically, uh, and you were kind of alluding to it with synchronization, how do we make sure that we uh, don't automatically backup a file that is... Uh, infected or that is uh, that is a problem file.
3: So a couple of points there, and, and this is back to where backups being the most mundane thing in the world just solve this problem. If you have a good solution, antivirus solution, that's scanning your files, the hope is you'll identify a file and quarantine it and not back it up. Yeah. But even if you do, a good backup solution maintains multiple versions of files. So as long as you've maintained an adequate history of of several months, Mm. you can... Roll back, theoretically, before that file's infected and you're back to a normal state.
0: Got it. And then the other question with cloud backup specifically, and you were kind of alluding to this, and I can hear a lot of people saying, well, if if my system can be hacked online, what's to prevent a cloud storage system or a cloud backup system from being hacked or being held for ransom uh, just like any other system?
3: you're not wrong it it is it is absolutely something that could happen and so this is why if your data is so super critical it's good to have it uh uh, an offline storage that said uh uh uh, cloud backup um providers really do spend a lot of time ensuring one that the data not just you know their account information and, and things like that but the data itself is heavily protected and guarded uh, from from intrusion and attack
0: So are there other steps that people can take to keep their data safe again we talk about sort of the the trifecta of security of keeping our software up to date creating the passwords strong passwords and changing them often using multi-factor authentication uh, backup uh, particularly cloud backup what are there any other steps that people can take to keep data safe
3: make sure you got your antivirus up to date. And then the thing that a lot of people overlook is they're using so many apps in so many places that they may not even know where files are or images are that they want to keep because they haven't sat down and done an inventory. And and I know that's a little bit of an arduous process, but you've got to understand where your data is or doing a backup is not going to do you any good.
0: That is a very good point. It's hard to uh, protect data if you're not sure exactly where it is to begin with. Are there any, any other things that people uh, tend to overlook when it comes to protecting their personal information?
3: You know, you've, you've covered them, but there's one I really do want to underscore again. Update your software. I know people think sometimes, oh, they just are trying to sell me something or, oh, they're just going to track me. The reason those updates come out is because they're patching you know, holes that they know malicious actors have found. So it's critical when when your mobile phone or your computer asks to do an update, it's critical that, that you allow it to do it.
0: Again, October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. David Dufour uh, is uh, head of uh, data security and data protection teams of the information management software company OpenText. Where do we get more information?
3: Well, on this, you can go to Carbonite.com. I promise you, we have more information than you ever wanted to know about backups, And then we've got other tips to protect you online and protect your data as well.
0: So critically important in this day and age and will only be more so uh, moving forward. Uh, David, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
3: Great being here.
0: Over the years, of course... We know the Red Cross for being there when disasters happen, the major natural disasters or smaller community and family disasters, home fires and floods and everything in between to help victims pick up the pieces afterward. But that is a job that cannot be done without the help of dedicated volunteers. And as such, the Red Cross is looking for new volunteers to help with that mission. Todd James, the North Central Ohio chapter of the American Red Cross, uh, with us in the studio this morning. This is a this can be a tough job.
5: Uh, definitely. I mean, you know, there are so many volunteer opportunities in the community, so many different ways that you can give your time and your talent Um, this is one that is vital, as you said, without our volunteers, you know, there wouldn't be an American Red Cross, Mm -hmm. uh, but it is definitely one that requires a a little bit more time and a little bit more commitment than maybe some others, but the payoff that you get from it and the service you're providing
0: is well worth that investment. This is, um, this is a lot more emotionally draining. I mean, certainly you can pick up litter on the side of the road and people, we need people to do that too. This is something, though, that is is, is hit you much uh, more. It, ha- it, it has an emotional impact.
5: Oh, definitely. And I mean, you you are seeing people, you know, on their worst day in most cases. Right. Uh, yeah. But you are the bright spot in that mo- in that really dark that's the day. Good. Yeah, that's um, the good part. You know, the, the best part of being a disaster action team member, being a disaster volunteer, I think any of our volunteers, if you ask them, will tell you the best part is the hugs um that yeah. that's what they they do it for yeah um now it, it is tough and that's one of the things in in the training you know there's uh, a, an amount of training that every disaster volunteer goes through and one of those is psychological first aid and yeah. dealing not not just with the emotions of the folks who are affected but with your own reaction and sure. emotions. you have yeah. to be able to deal with that healthy and uh because you are seeing some in some cases some very tragic situations mm-hmm. um, but we make sure that that you have the training for that and and that there's always help and support available for our yeah. volunteers as well as for those that we're helping because
0: i know that that i can hear some people saying well i don't know that i could do that and and it's not like you're thrown to the wolves on this. Yeah. you you do get uh, some training and on how to process all of that and work through it and again as you said it, it can be a very rewarding experience there are very few ways that you can volunteer that you can get this kind of impact for yourself yeah so. it, it's amazing the um
5: the feeling that you get you know I,
0: I can still remember the very first
5: time i went out to a home fire when i joined the red cross and, mm. and did the work was out there with one of our teams and and saw what we did and um you know the the family's reaction to the to the help that they were receiving it, yeah. it's just it's like oh yeah this is what i want to do mm-hmm.
0: yeah um and and now i know We've talked to you before. You have uh, deployed to all kinds of disasters (laughs) all over the country, uh, not just here at home. Are we talking about that kind of volunteerism?
5: I mean, that opportunity is available, but what we're focusing on really are the local disaster okay. volunteers, our disaster action team members, mm-hmm. uh, because the big ones are the ones that you see, the ones that make the news. You, right. you turn on the news and there's been a hurricane or a wildfire, or an earthquake, and you'll see the Red Cross there. And that is, you know, of course, we're going to be there. Um, but the vast majority of the disasters, over 60,000 disasters we respond to every year are right here at home. Most of them are home fires. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be a storm or a flood, as we well know around here. Right. But most of the disasters we respond to are local home fires, where you know it, it's a single family that's been affected. But for that family, it is a disaster. Yeah. It's a disaster for the it's community. It's entire world. Happened. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's it's having local trained volunteers who are ready to answer the call for help. You know, just down the street when that call comes in Uh, a lot of those volunteers are the same ones who will go out to the wildfires and the hurricanes but it's totally up to the volunteer we're not going you know by signing up to become a red cross disaster volunteer you don't automatically get handed a plane ticket and say okay there's a wildfire (laughs) in california head on out there (laughs) yeah Uh, it, it is totally the volunteers decision of if and when they're available to travel to some of those bigger events.
0: So uh, don't uh, so be assured uh, that uh, that's not going to happen unless you want it. Unless to. you wanted so, to. Yeah. Most, uh, most
5: of our volunteers sorry. really do stay close to home mm-hmm. because while we're out at those big events, while there's a, a you know hundreds or thousands sure. of Red Cross responders dealing with those big events, we still have to make sure that we cover the home front too. Exactly. That's number 1. And yeah. so um, you know it really is having a and and we've been hit hard by COVID over the last 18 months or so. And just by the circumstances in general, mm-hmm. um, you know, we had a, a number of volunteers, even as we went to a virtual service delivery model, as many folks did. Um, but it did cause a number of volunteers to have to step back and not all of them are able to come back or not at this time anyway. Uh, and we've got to make sure that we have enough trained volunteers to, um, that makes it easy to answer that call for help now you know as it is now honestly you know if we get a call for help tomorrow and let's say someone in tiffin has a home fire mm-hmm. um, it may well be a volunteer from Findlay who's going over to cover that we're yeah. going to make sure that it's all taken care of but it would be great if we had trained volunteers closer to home yeah
0: in all of those communities call. so what is involved how do folks you've got a training uh session coming up here right yeah we're going to
5: hold a public information session next wednesday night the 27th okay, at so our from today. A week from today at our Finley office, which is at 125 Fair Street here in Finley. It uh, starts at 5.30. will last about an hour or so, and I know that's right after work, dinner time, so we're going to have some refreshments available. And and that's what we're going to talk about. We're just going to kind of lay out for you, here's what it takes to be a member of the Disaster Action Team. This is team. what it's
0: involved. This uh, is the
5: training that yeah. we ask you to take. Uh, um, like everybody else, you know, uh, we embrace technology. So um, where it used to be even as long, you know, five years ago, maybe if you signed up for the team, Um, you'd be spending a lot of time in a conference room taking your training in person. Now you can do a lot of it online. And then you'll work with uh, and some of the classes we still do in person. But then you also, you know, you ride along with the team. You're not just going to get, as you said, we're not going to throw you in the deep end. Yeah. We're going to make sure that you're comfortable and ready. So when you do get the call and you say, yeah, I'll, I'll take next week on call. So if something happens, I'm ready. Um, and so we're going to go over all of that. We'll have members, you know, currently of our team there so they can share their experiences, answer questions for you. So this is a way to find out what it takes and then what we're asking of you when you become a disaster action team member and and, and if is you it, want to join us, we would love to have you.
0: And is it stric- strictly a uh, disaster response, or are there other volunteer uh, opportunities, other ways that people can volunteer? Say, I I would like to help, but yes. I don't know that I'm really up for that. Oh, we literally have dozens of different volunteer
5: opportunities. Yeah. And no matter whether you want to help out at a blood drive. Uh, and a lot of our disaster action team members get involved in these other opportunities, too. A lot of them are the ones who go out as part of the home fire campaign and do the smoke alarm installations because they know how vital it is to have working smoke alarms at homes. You know, helping with some of our, our Service of the Armed Forces programs or just helping out around the office or at our special events. There's always something going on ways for people to get involved
0: okay so uh if you i uh, have some uh, have some time looking for a way to make an impact uh in the community you'd be hard-pressed to find a better way uh again the uh this sort of open house this uh, get to know the opportunities uh sort of meet and greet if you will Uh, That's one week from today. One week from today, 5.30 at our
5: Finley office. Uh, It's open to the public. Uh, You don't have to RSVP, but it would help us if if you let us know, just so we make sure we've got enough food and materials for everybody. Uh, And if you can't join us in person, we are going to also present a virtual, so we're going to be streaming it live. So we do need you to RSVP for that, so we can send you the link. So if you go to our website, redcross.org slash ohio. Uh, or you can email us N-E-O-Volunteer at redcross.org. Uh, we'll send you back the link so you have that. So if you awesome. can't join us in person, but you can still see the presentation, participate, ask questions, those kinds of things.
0: We've got that link up at our webpage too, by the way. So you can go to goodmornings.net if you didn't get all of that and uh, we'll have it linked up there. Uh, by the way, speaking of uh, blood drives, we get about 30 yes. seconds here. Still a drastic need for We are in blood. an
5: urgent need for blood and platelet donations uh, right now. The The blood supplies have never been, haven't been this low in in over 5 years. Uh we need to collect a 10,000 additional units every week for the next month to catch up wow. with what the demand for the hospitals right. is right now. And and so we really really need everybody to please consider donating blood. If you know you can't donate for whatever reason, then ask a friend to donate in your name. We've got to make sure that we're keeping the stable blood supply that the hospitals need. So
0: very important uh, to do that as well. So plant that seed uh, as well. Todd James, the North Central Ohio chapter of the American Red Cross. Thanks very much for dropping by. We Thank appreciate you. It.
1: We
2: interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's
0: update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Deputies in Douglas County, Missouri, pulled over one Neil Cole this past Saturday and discovered he had several warrants out for his arrest. Police say Mr. Cole attempted to flee the deputy during questioning. And when the deputy took chase, he noticed something suspicious in Mr. Cole's hand. When the deputy eventually caught up with and arrested Mr. Cole, They realized he was holding a Marie Callender's chocolate cream pie. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know why. That just struck me as he's got something suspicious in his hand. It turned out to be a Marie Cole's chocolate cream pie. Investigators uh, say that the pie is being kept with Mr. Cole's belongings that he will get back uh, upon his release. (laughs) Give me back my pie. (laughs) Elsewhere in the broken news, police in Maryland say they have arrested one of three suspects who are suspected of trying to steal an ATM from a bank, not steal from an ATM, actually steal the ATM machine. The suspects ripped the machine from the exterior wall of the bank. Authorities say some $65,000 in damage was done both to the ATM machine and the bank in the process. Now that takes guts to steal, not just steal from the ATM, but to steal the ATM machine, steal the whole, ripping it out of the wall of the bank. That's bold. Didn't get away with it though. This from Michigan Following an alleged botched home invasion, uh, 43-year-old Kevin William Ty managed to get lost in the woods while trying to escape, (laughs) made his getaway into the woods, and promptly got lost. He was so lost, in fact, that he called the police on himself, (laughs) asking to be rescued. The bizarre ordeal unfolded when Michigan State Police responded to a breaking and entering complaint by a woman who claimed a man had entered her house, then fled after she screamed and told him to leave. A trooper searched the area and eventually found the suspect in the backyard of his parents' home nearby. When the trooper attempted to question Mr. Tai, that is when he fled into the woods. A canine team was called in but was unsuccessful in locating him, but later that evening... Police say Mr. Ty called 911 to report that he was lost. (laughs) I don't know whether when he called in, he admitted that he was the guy that the cops had been looking for or whether he tried to remain incognito or thought that they wouldn't put two and two together. But dispatch informed troopers of the last known coordinates of the caller. And when police arrived, he flagged them down and they arrested him. He was charged with breaking and entering and resisting and obstructing police, uh, his next scheduled court appearance is coming up next week. <laughs> now that's now that's uh, getting that's that's lost. When you're that lost, you end up calling the police on yourself. There you go. This is kind of unusual from the international file of the broken news. In New Zealand, the Christchurch City Council. Has decided that wizardry just isn't in the budget anymore. After more than two decades as the official wizard of New Zealand, the uh, uh, after after more than two decades as the official wizard of New Zealand, Ian Brackenberry Channel, who is paid sixteen thousand dollars annually. Uh, to provide acts of wizardry and other wizard-like services as part of promotional work for the city of Christchurch, New Zealand. He has been relieved of his duties now, which according to the city council website, included doing rain dances and casting spells. (laughs) He has been relieved of those duties as the official wizard of New Zealand. Boy, I tell you what, the economy is tough. When you gotta lay off the city wizard. That's you know, times are tough. However, Mr. Channel says he will not stop, even though his last check is set for December. He said, quote, It makes no difference. I'll keep I'll keep going. They'll have to kill me to stop me. Well, that might be a little that might be a little much. I wonder if he's gonna cast a spell on the city council members who voted to lay him off. I mean that would be the logical, you know, next, uh, next, uh, spell <laughs> to cast. <laughs> and finally, in the uh, broken news this morning is our viral video of the day. You can check this out online if you like, but be prepared. Uh, there is some rather mature content involved. KREM is a local television news station in Spokane, Washington. Uh, And proving that anything can happen on live TV during their Sunday evening weather broadcast. Meteorologist Michelle Boss was giving uh, an update when a clip was shown on the green screen over her right shoulder of a woman's backside in a pornographic movie. (laughs) About 13 seconds worth uh, appeared uh, in video uh, during the uh, weather report. Uh, News reports are that uh, the station apologized for the incident later that evening on its 11 p.m. broadcast. This happened uh, in the 6 p.m. newscast. At 11 o'clock, they uh, apologized for the incident. The Spokane Police Department has confirmed that it is investigating the incident. They don't know where the video came from. So far, no one has been blamed for airing the clip. Oops. Oops. Go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. Uh, this update of the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming.
4: This is Atlanta Felicia Extension. It's harvest season. Drivers will be sharing roads with combines and green hauling vehicles. Please be alert, especially on roads with limited visibility. Watch out for equipment pulling in and out of fields. Drivers and farmers, let's work together this fall to keep our roads safe and accident-free.
2: This message from WFIN and 95.5 FM.
0: And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. We're talking about uh, Internet security and Cybersecurity Awareness Month and all of that in the month of October. Interesting new survey finds that an alarming number of very young children are active users of social media. We're talking one out of three children between the ages of seven and nine years old. One third of seven to nine year olds use some form of social media, according to results of a national poll released earlier this week. And in addition, nearly half of those between the ages of 10 10 and 12 indicate that they are on social media. That is a large number of under 13s, of preteens, especially very young kids. And what's perhaps even more alarming is that a large percentage, it's about one in six parents of elementary and middle schoolers who use social media, say they do not use parental controls. Now, this survey was conducted by the University of Michigan Health uh, C.S. Mott Children's Hospital of about a 1,000 parents with at least one child between the ages of 7 and 12. Uh, Roughly 40% of parents say that it is too time-consuming to monitor their kids' social media use. What is interesting is that according to the survey, in deciding which apps are appropriate and safe for their children, nearly three in four parents surveyed Report that they consider if the app has parental controls um but uh again, over uh it says although two thirds of the respondents say they use at least one parental control feature, one in five indicate that they have been unable to find the information they need to set up all of the parental controls or that it's too time consuming, so parents are looking for parental controls as an option, but then not using the option. Kind of interesting. um, Other factors in deciding which apps are appropriate and safe for their child to use. Nearly three in four parents uh, say they consider whether the app has parental controls, even though many of them don't use them. Three in five look at the app's age rating or whether their children would need it for school. And uh, about one third of those in the survey say their children were taught about safe use of social media apps in school and those parents are more likely to report that their child uses social media apps and that may be a bit of a misnomer because i don't know how often this is brought up even in modern curriculum in schools so that may be a false sense of security time now for our ongoing keeping the faith series this morning have you ever been afraid to pray for something really big maybe it comes from this uh, belief that something you want for your life is too much of an ask maybe you think it's rooted in selfishness or it's something that you should be doing for yourself without asking for assistance from above or whatever Well, author Julie Sadler believes we can enjoy the surprising life God has for us when we are bold enough to ask Him. In her new book, Pray Big Things, she uses the biblical example of Joseph to to reveal the many ways God is at work in the world and urges believers to reclaim the power of prayer. Correspondent John Clemens reports this morning, Keeping
2: the Faith. It's all in the book by Julia Sadler, Pray Big Things, the surprising life God has for you when you're bold enough to ask. Julia Sadler wrote the book during a very difficult time in her life.
6: We didn't have trouble getting pregnant, but kept losing every baby I got pregnant with. Clearly something was wrong, and I took some medication to help not miscarry anymore, but we firmly believe that God used medication to bring about our answered prayers.
2: Julia was pregnant again. The trouble didn't end there.
6: And we just really thought we were in the home stretch. And then at 22 weeks, I go into preterm labor and the neonatologist comes in and says, you know, if they're born right now, they're going to be born blind, deaf, with brain bleeds or not make it at all. Just like that, I was on a hospital bed for 49 days and we didn't know what was going to happen, but we had to decide really what we believed.
2: That answer prayer was the birth of triplets to Julia Sadler and her husband, Ryan.
6: I wrote Pray Big Things after just the most difficult and also exciting time of my life in marriage. My husband and I experienced three miscarriages in a year. And after that, we just decided that we were not going to be embarrassed to ask God for anything. And so we started praying for three children, multiples, and for God to do more than anything we could hope or imagine, and uh, God blessed us with our miracle triplets. Pray
2: Big Things is a book about the Saddlers watching their newborn triplets struggle for the next 63 days.
6: Our little triplets that were born two pounds and three pounds and three pounds um, are now close to 25 pounds, and we saw them fight for 63 days in the NICU. And And God was just sovereign and protected them and now they're healthy and they're thriving and I do a devotional with them every morning they have their own little language and they're just best friends and it's it's just amazing but we get to tell their story all the time finding hope in the midst of miscarriage and struggles
2: Julia Sadler writes and pray big things that the scriptures she read took on a new significance
6: we just begged God every day to protect the lives of our children, and it was a very, it was a very scary time. I knew that I needed to stay connected, obviously, and um, to Scripture and read my Bible. And so I read through Psalms, and I'd read a Psalm a day, and it was just so—it was exactly what I needed. And it's verses that I'd known my whole life, but when you're in just that special time of need and needing God so desperately to answer, it's just amazing how much God's Word comes alive to you.
2: Pray big things is also about Sadler learning to trust on the Lord to reveal his purpose.
6: 49 days in a hospital is a really long time and so we prayed for God to show us why are we here what can we do to further your kingdom while we're here and little by little it was just so amazing that God gave us people to minister to. God really showed us that even though you don't know what happens in the future Certainly bad things happen all the time, but that doesn't mean that there's not a purpose for us today.
2: It was also an opportunity for the Saddlers to understand the purpose God had for their ordeal.
6: Pray Big Things, we talk a lot about how to discover your purpose, even in seasons that you never would have chosen. Pray Big Things kind of sounds like name it and claim it, and it's not that at all. It's how can we pray big but still find purpose in our everyday lives.
2: Being a Christian does not mean you'll never have trouble.
6: Something that really throws people off a lot is, well, I believe in God, and if God's good, why is this happening? Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, not maybe, not if. We can take heart because we trust in the one that's overcome the world. Becoming a Christian, accepting Christ as your Savior, does not mean you're never going to have trouble. It does mean that there's hope.
2: Pray Big Things is a book for all parents that will encourage them to teach their children to stand for Christ.
6: One of the best quotes I ever heard about parenthood was the most important thing you can teach your child is to stand alone. And so one of the big things we pray for our children is that they will have the boldness to stand for Christ wherever they are, even if it's not popular, even if it's not what their friends are doing. My husband and I believe that that's the reason we're here, is to tell people about Christ. And so we pray that our kids, first, accept Christ as their Savior, but secondly, that they have that same love for evangelism.
2: Here's how to find out more information about the book, Pray Big Things, the surprising life God has for you when you're bold enough to ask by Julia Sadler.
6: Listeners can get in touch with me and our whole life is basically on Instagram, Julia J. Sadler, the Sadler triplets, and also my website, JuliaJSadler.com.
2: This is John Clemens reporting. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for
0: today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. Bookmark that site and be sure to check back every day, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry have this week declared a national state of emergency for children's mental health. We look at the sobering statistics and challenging solutions. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.